0: All right, all right, Salt Company. You guys can go ahead and take your seats. Man, it's so good to be here. Um, Man, I think Tony did a great job. Uh, Man, just welcomed me into this place. Yo, I hope you guys know this. Number one, your guys' Salt Company leadership team here like loves y'all so much. Like, Tony, Juliana, Temi, Rachel, like, like, like they, they pour so much into this thing. Um, and, and they love y'all so much, man. Like, like Tony, Tony cannot have a conversation with me without talking about <laughs> y'all. And I love that, man. Like, I love what's going on here on this campus. I love what's going on here at Salt Company. And I love that God is making a move in the lives of the people sitting in this, in this room. I love that. I love that y'all are committing to this, right? Committing to the life that Christ has given you. I love that. My name is Jared. Uh, Tony introduced me already. Uh, man, I am currently at the Salt Company in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, go Badgers. <laughs> Anybody from Wisconsin in the room? Nah. That that took a lot for me to say, actually, because I'm not even from Wisconsin. I'm, I'm Big Ten, right? But like, Hawkeyes. Any, any Iowans in the room? Ah, love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yo, but Tony said, uh, my role at uh, Salt Company in Madison, Doxa Church is our home church. Uh, I'm a church plant candidate there. Uh, and I am on the path to be planting a church in Milwaukee in 2025. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. A couple years back, the city of Milwaukee grasped uh, my wife and I's heart. And we've just been praying intently, man, that the Lord will prepare a way uh, for that place. And so if, if you are so inclined, man, if you're the praying type, would you please uh, pray with us as we think about that city? Maybe the Lord would have pressing your heart to go as well. Uh, we can be in contact about that if, if you so uh, choose. Um, but without further ado, I, I want to I wanna jump into our teaching tonight. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series in 1 John. If you have your Bibles here, go ahead and get those out. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, it's a small book in the back of the New Testament. It might take you a minute to find that. I'm telling you uh, off the top. You can turn there, and I'll meet you there. A little bit about me. I was an English major when I was in college, and so like, I have this thing for writing, right? and I, and I really appreciate different writing styles. And I love John as a writer. And if you know your Bible, like you'll, you'll know that John pops up in a couple different titles in the New Testament. And, and the same John is the author of all of them. The same John that wrote the Gospel of John is the same John that wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the first one of which we're going to be in tonight. The Gospel of John, and, and, and you can see easily, the, the, the same themes that pop up in the Gospels are the same ones that pop up in these letters. They overlap, right? They have these concepts of light and darkness, these concepts of seeing and knowing, this high view of Christology, which is like this, this equating Jesus with God and a high view of the Christian community. And in this letter, John is writing to some of the churches in Asia Minor, and one of the intentions he has in writing these letters is to correct some of the false teaching that has crept into the church. See, I love that the Bible has stories like this in its text, right? Because it helps us see that the things that people were facing back then can be some of the things that we're facing today. Like literally some of the problems that exist today aren't new. I hope that gives somebody comfort in here. There were imperfect people in the first century church, and there's imperfect people now. And honestly, like a lot, a lot of the things that they were dealing with weren't very different from us. And so, John, as he writes, he felt this obligation to preserve the teachings of Christ, which is why he begins this portion of the letter as an eyewitness to Jesus' life, saying, This is the message we have heard from him. Like, he wants to make no mistake about it. The things that he is about to say are not from himself, but they're actually from Christ. And unfortunately, right, a lot of the things that Jesus says aren't very agreeable. They weren't in the first century church, and surprise, they aren't now. And maybe you're here tonight, and you feel like you're caught up in the fray yourself. Like Maybe this is your first time at Salt Company. If that's true, welcome. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. But maybe this is your first time in any kind of Christian gathering, Ever. Or maybe your first time in a long time. And so you come in and you're kind of uncertain about God and you're uncertain about Jesus and you're not really sure what to do about what you already do know about him. And if this is you, like like you're in luck tonight because John wrote this letter for people who are just like you. Some of the false teaching, as we'll see tonight, mainly deals With two questions I'm going to give them to you right here number one is this who is God and number two how do we have fellowship with him so here's what I want to do I want to answer these two questions tonight I want to tell us why it's important and then hopefully help move you to a response towards the end does that sound good let's get to the text first John chapter 1 starting in verse 5 here's what it says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Okay, just unpack a little bit here. Right? right off the bat, John wants us to know that he's going to begin saying what he's going to say by saying he's not going to say what he thinks, but what he has personally heard from and from experience from Christ. And when you think about the writers of the New Testament, there's really only three other characters who can make this claim. Matthew, Peter, and James, one of which was the brother of Jesus. And as John gets going, he wants us to know something that he heard directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. And it's this, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There's a question that arises for us: what exactly does it mean that God is light? See, this is a common idea that John works with when it comes to God, but what does it mean? Like is John making some universal existential claim about God being like this orb of light or something like like that? You know, I don't know when my brain does this, it does this sometimes, right? But but like when I when I think of God being light, it kind of takes me to like, this image from the movie Soul. Anybody ever seen the movie Soul before? Right? Like it's this movie about this jazz musician. He's in New York. The opening credits come, and he's walking along. He's, he's like sidestepping death at every step, right? And what takes my guy out is him stepping into a manhole. <laughs> and that was the thing. And the next scene, he wakes up, and he's in this dark background. And off in the distance, you see this orb of light, right? Like those of you who've seen it, you know it. he's on this little thing and he's running back the other way. He doesn't want to get taken to this light, right? He's, he's denying that he's in the place that he's in. Right? I'm only telling you this to give you guys an image, right, of what I mean, this idea of light, God being light. Maybe when you think of God being light, you think of that same thing. But that's not all what John is talking about, is it? You see, when John says God is light, he's not talking about his appearance. He's talking about his character. And we can draw what we know about God's character, at least three things that John would mean. He's good, he's right, and he's true. First, God is good. He's good in that he loves us and he wants the best for us. He is good in his actions towards us. And you can see his goodness literally Every day, from the rising of the sun to the rain falling from the sky to the flowers blooming in the garden. And the psalmist in Psalm 145 says that he is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is good. Second, he is right, meaning that he is just. He's the good and right judge, and his doings are always right. He is right to be angry with sin. He is right to judge sin, but he is also right to forgive and he is right to save. He's right to condemn evil, break the prideful, bless good, and exalt the humble. He is right. And lastly, God is true. See, John says in the gospel, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And later, even in this letter, in 1 John. He'll say this in chapter five, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is what? True. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. See, this is what it means when John says God is light. It means he's good, he is right, and he is true, all wrapped into one. In other words, he is by definition pure. So if he is light, holistically pure, then that means there's no darkness in him at all. See, John says that God is light and it follows in verse 5 that there is no darkness in him at all. And there are a couple ways we can understand this too. First, there is no evil in God. And if I have to admit, this is one of the hardest realities for non-believers and young Christians to grasp. Isn't it? And we can sympathize with that. On the one hand, you're hearing God is light and there's zero darkness in him. And yet you're trying to make sense of all the evil that you see in the world. And if you can put this into a question, the question is this. If God is so good, then why do I see so much evil? And maybe this is your question tonight. Like you can't seem to make sense of the evil around you. Like, you don't know why gunmen keep targeting innocent students. You don't know why that stroke took out your mom. You can't make sense of the global pandemic killing millions. You can't make sense of police brutality. Like, just this afternoon, I was driving around this city. Me and my friend, we came into the town and we drove past the George Floyd Memorial. Like, y'all, if you forgot, just a couple years ago, Y'all were literally in the middle of or even maybe on the front lines of a modern day civil rights movement through the George Floyd murder. And you might be having trouble making sense of it all. And your question might be, why did God allow it? See, we often blame God for a lot of things, don't we? When things don't go our way. When difficulties arise, when we're forced to feel things, we don't want to feel sadness. And anger and grief. See, we want to blame God, but God isn't to blame. But if we want to know who is, we have to go to the very beginning of Scripture. See, if you're thinking that it was God who let evil in, you're mistaken. He didn't do that. The evil around us is not by the hand of God, but by the hand of man. It's not ushered in by God's will, but by the will of man, as we see through Adam when he chose to disobey God in the garden. Do you remember this story? Way back in Genesis 3, God gave the first man and woman a commandment. He said, do not eat. And what did Adam do? He ate. And when God lovingly confronts Adam, Adam does what? He hides. And y'all, this like blows my mind. Adam committed cosmic treason against the creator of the universe. And here's the creator's response. He doesn't just come in and confront and blow up the spot, maybe end everything a couple pages into the Bible as he could and probably should have. No. But it was to stroll in the garden and ask Adam some questions. He appeals to his location, where are you? He appeals to his shame. Who told you that you were naked? He appeals to his need. Did you eat? And he appeals to his activity. What have you done? Every question and opportunity to confess and repent. And what does man do? They fail. And the result is sin. And the result is death. Not only on a personal scale, but on a cosmic scale. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8 that all of creation, including us, we groan, waiting for the redemption of God. Why? Because of the actions of man. So evil wasn't ushered into the world by God. It was ushered into the world by man. And even so, ever since the beginning, God has lived up to his name. He is light. He is good, he is right, and he is true, and his response to sin has always been mercy. See, no darkness being in God means there's no evil in him, but it also means that there's no shifting shadow, meaning he's not light one day or one season in your life and then darkness the next. No, there is no shifting shadow in him. There's no other side to his light. He is who he is, and the text says that he is light. He is good, and if he was good then, he's good now. And if he was light then, then he is light now. He is who he is, and he can't be anything else. He is light, John tells us, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if this is who God is, the second question we have to answer is how do we have fellowship with him? Look back at your Bibles. I'm going to read the rest of the text from verses 10, 6 through 10. Here's what it says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. See, in this section, John is beginning to address some of the false thinking and teaching that has been in and around this church. Primarily the teaching surrounding how and what it means to fellowship with God. See, verses 6 through 10 are full of these if clauses where he's dealing with the assertions of these false teachers. We can see these false assertions in verses 6, 8, and 10. The first one is in verse 6. Look at this. We can have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. The false assertion number two is we can believe in truth while believing we have no sin. The false assertion number three, verse 10, we can have the word of God in us and believe God is true while denying we have ever sinned. I want to make a couple of caveats here. When we think of darkness and sin, I think we often think of them interchangeably. But according to the text, we have to think of them separately. I think that's how John intends, right? If I can help us. Being in sin means actively or passively going against the commands of God. But being in darkness means actively or passively being in denial of the truth. See, darkness is more akin to deception than it is to sin. We just established that God is light, right? And, and, and here's the question. What is the purpose of light? It's not a trick question. <laughs> It's to light things up, right? Or maybe a better definition, without using the word at hand, is it's to expose something. See, a dirty room can be disguised in the dark. But a room that is dirty is exposed in the light. Right? I wish my kids could hear this message right now, <laughs> you know? They can trick dad into thinking that the clothes under their bed that the clothes aren't under their bed, and that they didn't sneak any food in so long as the room is dim or dark, right? But in the light, all of their dirty little deeds are exposed. And what John is wanting us to know is that coming into the light isn't necessarily the cure for sin, but it is the exposure of it. In fact, it is often more painful than it is satisfying. See, it can be uncomfortable. And maybe this is why the false teachers made these assertions, and maybe this is why some of us in the room tonight have been content with being adjacent to the light, but never really stepping into the light. See, you would rather be in the dark, stuck in a bliss of denial, than in the light, walking through the pain of truth. And the hard thing to hear tonight, but I think the most loving thing I could say, is that you could... Do this. You could stay in denial. You could stay there if you're there right now. But John will tell you, and I agree with him, that you're living a lie and you don't have fellowship with God. If we want to have fellowship with God, the first thing John says is the first true assertion out of two found in this same passage, found in verse seven. It's this. We have to walk in and be exposed by the light. And the second is this, verse 9, we only receive righteousness by confessing our sin. And I know some of us in this room know what this looks like. I know some of us in this room knows what this feels like. As uncomfortable as it might be, stepping into the light, taking that step, and feeling what might be (laughs) some of the most uncomfortable moments you might have. Let me let you into my life just a little bit. See, for me, stepping into the light looked like realizing I had used sex, women, and fame to rule my identity and give me affirmation until Jesus rescued me. See, when I stepped into the light, God revealed years and years and years of pain Years of pornography, years of sex, years of hurt, years of womanizing, years of lying, years of just being a terrible excuse of a man. All things that I was deceived and in the darkness about and never would have known had God not come to be the light of my life. See, I needed him to expose the dirt in my room. But here's the thing, right? And some of y'all know this, that as he begins to expose It never really stops, does it? As he began to shine the light and expose the dirt under my bed, I began to see not only the dirt under my bed, but the spots on the wall. I began to see the dirt and dust on the ceilings. I began to see the dust hiding in the corner, hiding in the closet. Every time, literally bringing me to tears, but also bringing me to confess and repent. And as I began and continue to see life like him, See, opening my eyes and realizing through the pain, my sight gets clearer and the room gets lighter, reminding myself in his, that I'm in his presence and I'm in the light of God. See, in the dark, we're in denial, but in the light, we walk in truth. See, walking in the light helps us to see how God sees, and it helps us align our thoughts with God's thoughts. What he calls good, we start to call good. And what he calls evil, we start to call evil, even the good and evil within ourselves. So many of us believe that we have fellowship with God and we have yet to step into the life. We're still believing that we can have fellowship with God and have our idols. We believe that we can have fellowship with God while we idolize school or fellowship with God while we idolize sports or fellowship with him while we idolize relationships. Right. Many of us look to those things for our light, but they're really just counterfeit. They may reveal something about you, but they won't reveal the truth. You could literally be stumbling in darkness and be your class Victorian. You can be stumbling in darkness and be the conference player of the year. You could be stumbling in darkness and be in a committed relationship. You could be stumbling and have 100,000 followers on, on TikTok or Instagram influencing millions. Listen, I admit these joys and accomplishments, they're fun and exciting. They can be like these miniature lights in our lives. They give you this rush. With Salt Company, what we need is more than a rush. You need life and resurrection power. See, at best, these miniature lights will blind and distract you from God, but God's light will fulfill and reveal truth to you. And this is what we need to know, y'all. If selfishness is ruling your life, you need to know that. If lust is ruling your life, you need to know that. If pride is ruling your life, you need to know that. Gossip, slander, hate, jealousy, envy, whatever, you need to know it. And you need to call it by name, and you need to pull it into the light and watch it lose its power. So John in this text is telling us that God is light. And in order to have fellowship with God, we have to walk in the light and confess our sin But he doesn't tell us to do that without giving us a promise. Check this out. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God and one another. If we confess our sin, we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Y'all, this is good news. This is a promise. And to put it another way, if we confess our sin and walk in the light, then we become like the light. Being in the light makes us like the light. And if you're unaware, y'all, like this is the main point of the Christian faith to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. In the first letter of John, we get that God is light. But not only is God light, Jesus is light. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, it says, God sends Jesus to be the light of the world, but the world didn't like the light. So what did they do? They denied the light. They beat the light, they hung the light, and they killed the light as he bled for our sins. And then they put the light in the tomb. But what happened next? (laughs) We're celebrating Easter again, y'all. He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later to prove that he is who he says he is. He is the light. He is the Messiah. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but not without leaving us something. The Holy Spirit. John chapter 12 tells us that if we believe in the light, then he gives us the light of the spirit and we do what? We become children of the light. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people for God's own possession who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. My, mind, and We get to go out and shine that light. As he was the light of the world, we get to reflect his light in the world. Y'all, this is the beautiful glory of the gospel. And John says, this is all you, if you walk in the light and confess your sin. So here's the question for you. Do you want this? Do you want fellowship With God. Like, are the true assertions of walking in the light and confessing your sin worth the promise? And don't get me wrong, like, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You can't do that. There is no earning language in this text. In fact, confessing your sin and walking in the light is a proclamation of the exact opposite. It allows you to faithfully identify. With the author of the old hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Walking in the light and confessing your sin is just falling on your face in surrender and saying, help me, (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. See, some of us grew up in Christian traditions where we thought we had to earn and perform our way to Jesus. And so many of us, even though we know the gospel is anti-earning, we still fall into the trap of wanting to earn our right standing with God. When all the while, God has been saying the whole time, I've already done it. It is finished. Just come here, receive me, and you will be made right. You don't have to do anything but believe and agree with God, and he'll take care of the rest. Now, that's the good news, y'all. See, I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says that he is sure of this as he's encouraging this young church, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Y'all, and we can take refuge in that. When we feel like the salvation has finished its work, it's done working, when we feel like we have shame and guilt, you can put that down and you can trust and believe that you're not holding your salvation in your own hand. But the one who started it in you has promised to bring it to completion in you. Your salvation is not a work that was started. Your salvation is a work that was started by God, and by his good, good grace, he will finish it. The man can come up. And I want to end with this. See, maybe you're here tonight, and you haven't believed in Jesus. Like you thought you had to scratch and claw your way to Jesus, but he's simply asking you to confess and believe. And maybe you're telling yourself, like, it can't be. It's too simple. Maybe you have the fear that if you do step into the light and you do confess your sin, that God won't forgive you. Let me reassure you that God is a good God. He's a just God. He's a true God. There is no evil or shifting shadow in him, and he is always in the business of mercy and forgiveness. You might be thinking, but but Jay, like, you don't know what I've done. (laughs) You don't know all that I have done. And I would say, so what? I don't need to. God knows and he's simply waiting for you to come to him with it so you can exchange that guilt and that shame you have for eternal life. So I want to bring us into a time of reflection. You can bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. Don't worry if you're new. I'm not going to ask you to like stand up and come to the altar or anything like that. Want us to know tonight that this invitation does not fall void. It's an invitation that's offered, it's freely offered, it's within reach, it can be grasped right now. Do you want it? Do you want to receive it? as you're sitting and reflecting, you may be thinking of something you've done last week that you've done a couple months ago or maybe even that you've done just this afternoon. And you may be thinking, there's no way I can bring this to God because there's no way he could see it and forgive me. That's not true. That is a lie directly from the pit of hell. Would you believe it? I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Find a friend tonight. Find a leader. Tony, Juliana, Timmy, Rachel, and tell them you want to believe tonight. Repent and believe for the first time. If you want to be in the light and become like the light, it starts with that. It starts with believing in the light itself and you too can become like the light and shine the light wherever God has you. For others of us tonight, you're in the light and you might be noticing the light shining in a part of your room, revealing some new things. Here's my challenge to you, don't deny it. Would you believe it? And would you confess it? And would you walk further in the light? Regardless of what camp you're in, what if you actually resolved to do this? What if you really took inventory and instead of shutting out the conviction in your heart, you leaned into it and it brought you into fellowship or even deeper fellowship with Christ? I want you to know if you want this, you can have it tonight. God is light. Jesus is light, and if you believe in him, you can step into what he wants to expose in your life, and he will want nothing more than to fellowship with you and call you his. Would you take a moment to reflect on this?